Can anything good come from pain, addiction, disease, or darkness that resides within? Can we be transformed? Can we find new hope for what we think is hopeless? What would happen if we were awakened to an idea that begins the work of restoration? What if that idea began to mend us? This idea begins to transform our pain and hurt into something useful, something beautiful. It can be done. Our lives can be reclaimed. Well, hello, everyone. My name's Luke, one of the pastors here. Hello to everybody watching, wherever you're at, at all of our campuses, Abingdon and Bel Air and Edgewood and online at those at Mountain Road, too. Uh, I was talking to a girl from our church this week, and it was great. She uh, was telling some of her story, some of the journey that she's been on, and um, she described herself as a work in progress. And it was really neat to see um, her just be really humble about that and to celebrate some of the stuff that God has done and say, yeah, I've, I've had some milestones, and I'm giving credit to God for the work and the progress that has been made in her life. And at the same time, she's also realizing and reckoning with the, the real, challenge, real challenges that she still faces. Uh, her name is Sarah, and she's a, a work in progress. And this is a, a work in progress for me. Um, I dug it out from under my deck, crawled under there, and grabbed it. It's been there for a long time since I moved into the house. The previous owner told me it was under there, and I just uh, left it there for f- over four years. I don't know how long it had been under there. Um, but it's an important part of the house. It, it's, it goes on the, the block wall that leads down to the stairs and like keeps people from falling into the stairwell, you know. Um, but I had just uh, left it under there. At some point it was judged to be unfit for the task, you know, being really rusty and all and kind of dangerous to the touch. So it was just discarded and has been under there ever since. Been on my list for a long time. Been on my wife's list for a long time. And uh, maybe you've got some projects around your house like that. Yeah, you should get to it, but you just kind of neglect it and nothing ever changes. And, it, you know, we do that with relationships too and priorities and habits and all that. You should probably do something about that, but uh, no, you just kind of leave it alone. Well, finally dragged it out, and it is a multi step process. I was using this for a while, and then I was like, no, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. And so I uh, got this, been getting all the, the loose rust off, which there's quite a bit of that. And then uh, I found this uh, primer that it converts uh, rust into a protected, paintable surface. And so uh, I've just been using this, uh, kind of prime it up, and that'll take care of some of the, the rust that's left over. And then, of course, got the, uh, the shiny top coat uh, on the end. Got a little bit of that done where I'm able to get the, the glossy coat on there. And so multiple stages, and I've got two of them, so I've got a lot to work through, a long way to go. It's a work in progress, but eventually it will be reclaimed. And I can get it back in place. And that's the idea of this series that we're in. It's called Reclaimed. And Ben started us off last week inviting us to think about the, the pain that we all have. Different shapes, different sizes, different types. But we all experience pain. And that pain can really limit us and uh, just drag us down and suck the joy right out of life. But if we're willing to surrender our pain to God 
and, and remember where God is leading us, this reclamation project that he's doing in our lives and in the world, if we will surrender and remember, then I, our pain can be redeemed. It can be reclaimed. God can use it. He'll draw us closer to him. He'll grow us in the midst of it, and he'll show us his, his goodness. Uh, it doesn't have to be something that defeats us, but even our pain can be reclaimed. God's in the reclamation business. I hope, I hope you hear it. If you weren't there, go back and listen to it online. It's an important word for all of us, I think. Uh, because, you know, maybe, maybe you too consider yourself a work in progress. You know, it's actually a very healthy way to, uh, to understand yourself, uh, to say, well, yeah, I am growing to recognize that I'm making some progress. I'm, I'm being changed. I'm being reformed. I'm not the same as I used to be, but I'm, I'm not what I'm going to be. Like th- there's more work to be done. I, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I've not arrived yet. I'm, I'm a work in progress. Um, Sarah did, didn't always have a a healthy view of herself in, in that kind of way. She tells her story. She you know, grew up, as she says, in a typical American home, a single mom, sister, and brother. And her dad left when she was an infant, didn't really know her dad much. The relationship she did have with him was pretty rocky. They grew up going to church, didn't really talk about God or Jesus at home. You know, going to church was just sort of this customary thing. You know, you go to church because, well, that's what you do. Um, but she did at church, and she's about 13 years old, she, she met this youth pastor, and, well, I guess you could say that his character was kind of like this rusty part of the railing. Now, it didn't appear that way at first. He was uh, kind of immediately drawn to her and became like a mentor to her and really took her under his wing. He would, you know, give her rides to church, which was a great help to her mother, and they began to get close. And, and, it kind of was this secret thing, kind of uh, down low thing. They would sort of start holding hands in the car, and she admits, you know, I had a crush on him. I thought he was cute. And she also says, well, I was young, and I was easy to manipulate, and I had daddy issues. And it wasn't long before uh, he, at 24, began a sexual relationship with her at 13. And it, she didn't have a lot of people that she could talk to about this, uh, again, it was it was hush hush, and the details are kind of fuzzy for her. She thinks that her mom must have known at some point, but she kept it under wraps for whatever reason. Didn't ever say anything about it, and it ended up being very traumatic. She doesn't remember all of the details. It had PTSD after all of it, but eventually, after nine months of this relationship, she did say something about it, and the relationship became public. And so then you might be thinking, "Oh no, here it is. It's all hitting the fan for the youth pastor. He's going down now." Well, unfortunately, no. Instead, Sarah's blamed, and the youth, youth pastor is viewed as innocent. Now, surprisingly, or at least it was surprising to me, Sarah's mom doesn't press charges, and, and the youth pastor continues in his role at the church. No disciplinary action is taken, and Sarah and her family are shunned by the church. And then to top it all off, not long after that, the youth pastor begins a relationship with another young girl. Now, this is where you might be thinking, oh, that's not a surprise to me at all because it happened to me. Or it happened in in a church that I was a part of. Or I've just come to know enough about the church that that's the kind of stuff that goes on all the time. I wish it weren't so. Pretty rough for Sarah after that understatement of the century. 
She uh, felt abandoned, very much alone, ostracized by the church, viewed as a whore, lost her friends, lost her her boyfriend, went into deep depression, self-mutilation, and and thoughts of suicide. Didn't really know much about what this being a Christian thing was about, but she began to wonder whether or not it was a very good thing. And of course, like any of us, asking the why God question, if God loves me, why is this happening to me? It's really hard to hear a story like that. I hate it for Sarah. But what makes it even harder is to know that there are so many people who can relate to that story. There there are a lot of things that just kind of tumble around in my mind when when I hear that. And maybe it's the same for you too. Uh, First, we live in an age when more and more people are having the courage to say, me too. Uh, If my stats are right, one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. We're going to talk in a few weeks specifically about abuse and and violence in in this series. Now, we know the world can be a brutal place, right? We know there's evil out there. But the disturbing thing about Sarah's case, and in too many other cases, is that the pain is being experienced in the context of the church, an environment that's supposed to be safe, supposed to be marked by integrity and righteousness and justice. It's supposed to be a haven, not the cause of harm. But we've seen it. We've seen the sexual impropriety. It all, it's all over the news. We see the abuses of power and money. We see some of those things that are illegal. You know, when they get reported, then it all blows up and it makes the news and we all hear about it. But then there's, there's plenty of other things that aren't illegal, but they're, they're still very harmful. Uh, neglect. People become part of a church, but then they're not taken seriously. They're not noticed. They just feel like a number. There's wounds of loneliness, and that causes real pain. There's other people who are right at the center of the action. They don't seem lonely. seems like, oh, they got, they're, they're, uh, they got a lot of good relationships. But no, they really don't, because no one is really tending to their soul, including themselves. They're just kind of a cog in the machine, being busy churning out the agenda of the church until they just get so burnt out and flame out and spit out by the church. Other people leave the church because they're just so tired of carrying around the guilt and the shame. It's just such a heavy burden. Now, sure, sometimes guilt and shame are warranted. But, you know, when a church has this hyper-concern over who's in and who's out, and, and then judgment is selectively applied, and lines get drawn, and lists get made, and labels get slapped on people, and grace disappears in, in favor of truth, but truth without grace becomes something other than what the church is supposed to dispense. And it can just become conscience-strickening and identity-warping and a burden too heavy to bear to the point that a person is running for the exits in disgrace. What we're talking about is a bunch of stuff that's not fun to talk about at all. It leaves leaves me feeling ashamed on behalf of a church that I love and mad and sad and and all the stuff that you're feeling as well. It's all a bunch of garbage. Ugly, stinky, crappy experiences that have left a lot of carnage in a lot of people's lives. And maybe you're one of them. Maybe everything that you know about the church tells you that it's just like some rusty old railing, that, that it's, it's no good. It's just toss it under the deck because you leaned on it for support and it, it cuts you, it hurts you, it made you dirty. You came in contact with it and it, it ruined things. And so you just, you got rid of it. It was judged unfit for what it was supposed to do and so you removed it and put it in a place where you never had to think about it again. That's what Sarah did. That's what a lot of people have done. And in a lot of ways, I I can understand that. And so what we're trying to figure out today is what do we do with that? How how do we deal with that? What do we say about that? Can God reclaim any of this junk? Or or is it better if we just discard the church altogether? 
Well, the first thing that needs to be said is sorry. Now, that may sound empty. It may not ultimately be the apology that you're looking for because you're hoping that it would have come from someone else, but it still needs to be said. On behalf of the church, on behalf of anybody who was supposed to be filled with love for God and love for other people but did not live that out, I'm sorry for the wounds that have been inflicted. And I, I pray that even though the church might be the environment or the source of some of your greatest hurts, that, that somehow our church community, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're here, you're hearing it online, or you're tuned in somehow, somehow this church community could be a place where healing could take place. That, that we could walk together on the step. It might take many steps. It might take lots of time, but somehow the weak and the strong, the limping and the able body could move forward and support one another along the way. If we're going to move forward, we're going to need some guidance from God's word. And it's interesting. You think about, uh, you think about the, our church, you think about the church experiences that you've had. It makes you wonder, what was the first church like? That, that original church that came off the assembly line, like the prototype, like what, what was it like? And I, I will admit, over the years I've had some assumptions, kind of these idealistic, these lofty uh, ideas about what that church was like, or the church is that sprouted up all over the Mediterranean world, like right after Jesus, that it was kind of, you know, it, it had a certain purity and wholeness, and uh, it was solid and strong and all of those things. Maybe you've thought some of that as well. Can we, uh, can we take a closer look today? And just try to try to see things clearly. Like uh, my daughter, <laughs> she's got this bug catcher, and so I'm outside scraping away on this fence, and she's um, she's running around trying to catch bees. All right, so you get a you get a bug in here, and you can get a good view. I looked uh, down from the top and see from down below. You get a spider or a bee in there, and you can really see the intricacies of, of what it's made of. And when we come here, we're trying to see things clearly. We're trying to see God for who He is, and He wants us to see ourselves for who we are in the church for what it is. And we can't exactly jam God into one of these, but we can, in a sense, by reading in the Bible, uh, take a closer look at, at the church and what it is supposed to be. And, and I think, I hope, in that way, we will be able to chart a course forward, navigating through the church hurt and the baggage that we have to wherever, to wherever God is leading us. So uh, follow me now. Uh, see, there are, there are lots of ideas out there about God. But the God that we're talking about is the God who, according to the story that the Bible tells, the God who created the world, and who gives life and breath to each one of us, that God. He wants desperately to have a relationship, a, a communion with the people that he's created, but his people have been bent on rejecting him and have rebelled against him. And so as it unfolds in the pages of the Bible, this God it has for millennia been trying to figure out how can I call, invite, compel, love my people back to me so they can experience the true joy of being human. I know I will bless the whole world through Abraham and his descendants, and the whole world will experience that blessing. I know I will claim for myself my people Israel, and they will be a witness to the wider world of my justice and holiness and goodness and loving kindness and mercy and grace. Even better, I will come and embody myself in a person, and I will live and walk among my people, and I will demonstrate to them that my power is real, and that my promises are true, and that my love is guaranteed, and I will set them free. That's, that's the Jesus part. Oh, 
even further still, I will not just limit myself to one person in one place in time, but I will plant my spirit in the bodies of whoever will receive me. And I will be in them and with them wherever they will go. And they will be my witnesses to the world that my promises are true. And through them, I will bind up the brokenhearted and set the oppressed free and give sight to the blind and reclaim and restore and renew every square inch of this broken world. That's the church part. That's the thing. That's what the church thing is supposed to be. It's not just a place where you go for coffee and donuts and mints. It's a community with a noble calling, a noble identity that comes from the creator of the world. Now, that, that's what was unleashed on the world almost 2,000 years ago. And so when you open your New Testament and you see something called Romans, that's not just a title of a book, that's a letter, that's a correspondence with a group of people who are in the city of Rome trying to figure out how does God's reclamation project uh, influence them in their time and place, in their city. Same thing with the Corinthians in Corinth and the Galatians in Galatia and so forth. These, these are not bureaucracies. They're not social clubs. They're not political parties or service organizations or peddlers of religious goods. They are movements of people who have been set free and, be, and reclaimed by the eternal almighty God and who are now empowered by him to together reclaim the world in Jesus' name. They're the church. So let's take a closer look at just one of them today. The one in Corinth. There's, there's so much to which we can relate. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians is where we're at. It begins with, actually with these, these lofty, these ideal statements written by the Apostle Paul. He was an early church leader. And he's writing it. This is how he begins. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in Christ you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. Therefore, you don't lack anything. You don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a high and dignified bunch. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? And Paul's not so much exalting them as he's exalting Christ. In Christ, they have been gifted and blessed. In Christ, they're sanctified, purified. They've been reclaimed. You can see all that in this perspective from above. I want to be a part of that church. Hang on now. There's, there's more to the story. While all of that is, in one sense, true, look, look from this view from down below. And Paul says, see, now I've heard about you. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, they, they told me, they informed me that there's quarrels among you. They're fighting over who's better than who. Pride and envy are rearing their ugly heads. And then he goes on. While in one sense they've been enriched in every way, while a deeper look reveals, no, look, I, I couldn't even talk to you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. You're You're babies. You're still babies. I had to give you milk. I couldn't give you solid food because you weren't ready for it. You're still not ready. I mean, you're, you're still worldly. There's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? What would you call it? Well, yeah, they have the Spirit, but they don't always live by the Spirit. But 
don't let that nullify the work of Christ. He flips back to the perspective from above, one chapter later, saying, already, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. Jesus has given you an inheritance. It's already yours. You've received more than anything you could ever have on this earth. You have power over evil in Jesus' name. You've already begun to reign. The victory has already been won. But then why do I smell such a stench of defeat? Paul laments, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And it's the kind that not even the pagans do this. A man is sleeping with his father's wife? Oh, come on now. That's going on? In God's church? In God's redeemed, reclaimed church? And you keep reading Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians, and you can, it just continues like this. And there, there's these two things true at the same time, and it's all that way throughout the New Testament. The more and more you discover it speaking at these two levels, these two different perspectives, from above the upper story of what, what God has done. We've been made perfect. We've been reclaimed. The Bible talks about the church as a holy temple built unto the Lord, or the beautiful bride that is pure and cleansed. And last week when Ben said, remember where this is going, from God's perspective, we're as good as there. We're, we've already arrived. It, it's guaranteed right now the victory is won. Evil, sin, and death has been defeated, and nothing can change that. It's happening now. But then there's the not yet. Not, not yet, that experience that, that we have, the perspective from, from down below, this lower story in which we still struggle and we, we still fail. We're... we're being reclaimed. We're being restored. But there's so much work left to be done. Evil and sin and death still mock us while they work on borrowed time. And the result is, is a church that is less than complete. Less than ideal. Less than beautiful. And in all of that, we're reminded the church is formed out of people who are works in progress. That's the only kind God uses. Just just the human kind. We're caught in the tension between the now and and the not yet. Lots of different images in the Bible help us understand that and they help us see the church for what it really is. It, the, the adulterous spouse is at the same time the pure bride. The field where the wheat and the weeds grow up together, but it's God's field. The body which has parts that we're proud of and those parts of which we're ashamed. But it's Christ's body. A building standing firm on the foundation that Christ has laid, but yet it's built with pieces that look like this. Oh, we can see it, a holy temple unto the Lord where God's presence dwells. But yet there's still so much more work to be done. I don't know, um, I don't know what picture of the church you see. But don't let it prevent you from seeing God for who he really is. I don't know what picture of the church you have picked up in your experiences, but don't let that picture prevent you from seeing God for who he really is. Some uh, wrote off God when they wrote off the church. Some are still seeking God, but they would never think to look for him in the context of the church. 
But, but it is precisely when you look deeply and truly at the church that you can see the amazing character and work of God. Okay? Two things. We see what God has done for us. We see what God has done for us. He is a dumpster diver, just as we've been saying. He, he goes in after us. He's the owner of the house, and unlike me, he is not content to just leave this thing sitting under the deck. No, he won't rest until every piece is put back in its place, no matter how rusty and tattered it has become. Someone may have told you that you were unworthy. You were unwanted. Maybe you told yourself that. Unimportant, useless. But no, God says you have a place in the building that I am constructing. In my temple, it includes you. And he'll crawl under the deck to get you and put you back in your place, set on the foundation of his beloved son. The church is a witness to the world of God's reclaiming work. We need the church. We see what God has done for us, and the church is a witness to what God can do through us. Paul, uh, he says to the Corinthians at one point, think of what you were when you were called, when you were chosen by God. And maybe that's a good question for all of us. Think of what you were. He says to them, not many of you were smart. Not many of you were strong. You weren't of noble birth. You weren't of high status. But God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. He's chosen the, the foolish to shame the wise. The lowly things, the despised things are announcing God's victory to the world. Paul says to them, look at us. Look at us. To this very hour, we go hungry. We're thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work with our own hands. And how does God work through these people? When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. We are being reclaimed. And therefore, Paul says, what you see in me, imitate that yourself. And watch what God will do through this tattered, persecuted, ragtag community called the church. They're flawed, but fruitful. Broken, but beautiful. They are a work in progress. But through them, God is reclaiming the world. So how can God reclaim us as a church? How can he reclaim your church hurt? Well, the first word for some of us might be repent. Now, we, we are certainly a mishmash of people who have been wounded and who have inflicted wounds on others. Uh, we, we are the church, and we have a, a high calling because our founder is Jesus Christ. We are filled with God's Spirit. But when we choose not to be led by that Spirit, when our character does not reflect the character of Christ, when we are not driven by love for God and love for other people, then we need to repent. We, we, we can't just, you know, say, oh, I'm a work in progress, like it's an excuse for being nasty. No, if you're a work in progress, the question is, who's doing the work? If God is doing the work, then that will lead to some humility when you will come to admit that, you know what, I got some places on me that need to be grinded off, some sharp edges that need to be cut away. If God is truly going to be allowed to work in our midst and to work in each of us, 
And it's going to lead to repentance anytime our character does not match the character of Christ. If you are responsible for someone else's church hurt, repent. Or, or if you, in, in, in the past age somewhere, you left some church in a huff because it was all their fault. But it, now God is prompting you to point the finger back at yourself a little bit. Maybe you need to repent. God can reclaim a humble heart. For others of us, God's word to us might be uh, reflect. What God might be inviting some of us to do is reflect on what we mean by church hurt. Because there are some whose experience of church hurt might be better described as uh, consumer dissatisfaction. See, almost every institution or every organization or business that we interact with presents themselves to us with a facade that is trying to communicate, we're here to meet your every need. Our world revolves around you. You can have it all and you can have it now. And when you bring those kinds of expectations into the church, just because it meets in a building that looks like every other building you go into, whether it's a health club or a restaurant or a hotel where satisfaction is guaranteed, you are probably setting yourself up to be disappointed. Now, certainly the church meets needs. And our ethic is built on the ethic of Jesus, where we prefer one another in love. And we show uncommon hospitality, not because the Ritz-Carlton modeled that for us, because, but because Jesus modeled that for us. And in Christ, we have been given all we could ever ask or imagine. That's because we're called into a family, Christ's family. We are a community. The church is not a business competing for its customers' preferences in music and theatrics and environment and coffee and quality of goods and services. Okay? Not that those things don't matter. It's just that, look, our bottom line is not profit. It's faithfulness and fruitfulness in the mission of God. And that bottom line is not driven by rates of satisfaction, but by sacrifice. So if you have a sour taste in your mouth about some church, maybe it's justified. But would you invite God to help you see what's really at the root of that? Would you be honest? God can reclaim an honest heart. And finally, God's word for some of us might be return. Sarah did. Just about a year ago, she came to Mountain for the first time, and I, I've left so much out of her story. Uh, miscarriage, drug abuse, arrest, father's death, just to name a few things. And she was mad at God and mad at the church, and she, she would tell you she tried everything to fulfill her and to heal her pain, uh, therapy and medications and relationships and partying and illegal drugs, and it just... For, for years, not, none of it ever did what she would hope it would do. And so one day, in desperation, she cried out for a sign from God. And it was pretty uneventful in that moment. But not long after that, God spoke to her. A song just pierced her and, and pointed her to the God that she had been so angry with. And it's not, a, not as if all hatchets were buried in that moment. She, she says, I still had a lot to work out with God. But I knew he was real. And I started to, to look back at the journey I'd been on a little bit differently from a new perspective and, and could see examples of God's faithfulness along this broken path that had led me here. And I had a lot of questions, and, and I wanted more. So she accepted an invitation to come to Mountain with a very good friend, very timid and nervous. 
but yet uh, immediately embraced and, and welcomed and overwhelmed with a sense of God's presence and like she had found a home. And she joined a group and she began avidly reading her Bible and other Christians books, bo- Christian books and soaking up everything that she could. She says, I only missed one weekend of worship in, in a whole year. She's been involved in lots of different things. She went to Welcome to Mountain, and when we said, who wants to get baptized? She leaped up and said, I want to do that. And so her friends were there to celebrate that with her. And and now she is serving and giving of herself and serving as a baptism assistant so she can celebrate with other people who are coming along on that same journey. She's just amazed that God could use someone like her for his purpose, in his church, for his mission. And she also uh, did something that maybe is the kind of thing that others of us need to do. She forgave that youth pastor who's been set free from the bitterness. And now she's got everything figured out. Life is perfect and she's complete. I was was kidding. (laughs) No, no. In a very real sense, She is reclaimed, forgiven, renewed, and lighter, brighter, more radiant. Just ask her friends. Yet at the same time, through uh, financial struggle and, and family challenges and questions, being reclaimed, being made new. She's a work in progress. Maybe there are others of us who are hearing this, whether now or later somewhere, who who need to return. God can reclaim a hungry heart. Someone who is ready to, to return to God with all their heart, no matter where they've been. And, and when you truly seek God, not, not the God that you might want to make up in your mind, but when you're truly seeking the God who created the world and the God who redeemed the world through Christ and the God who can reclaim your life and is reclaiming the entire world, when you are hungry to find that God, well, then you also find the church. They, 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 they go together. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthian church. You know that one filled with incest and jealousy and division and prejudice and a host of other things that we didn't get to? To that church, he said, don't you know, you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst. This is by God's design. God is trying to embrace a world that is bent on rejecting him. And so he has made himself present and embodied in a community to work through human hands and human words. We got a long way to go. God is reclaiming us and through us reclaiming the world. We're the church. And we are a work in progress. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for uh, your word to us and for your grace, your patience with us, your restoring, reclaiming work that you are, are doing even sometimes when we don't want it or when we're resistant to it. But we pray that, that uh, we would get more of you today, that we'd welcome more of you into our lives, into our church. We don't claim to be perfect. In fact, God, we're reminded of all the ways that we're not. And, and we pray that more and more your spirit would convict us in any place where we need to repent, 
for things that have been wrong, for injustices, for injuries that we have caused. God, find us ready to repent. And for those of us who maybe feel discarded, left, hidden, in a, out of the way somewhere, feeling like we're useless in your church, I pray that you would dismiss those evil and wrong thoughts, that you would help us to see ourselves and to see you for who you really are, that we would know that we are part of your church, your family. You have called us. You have invited us. You are reclaiming us and renewing us. May more and more of your reclaiming work happen in us and through us that we might be faithful witnesses to a broken and hurting world that is in desperate need of your reclamation. God, find us where we are. Works in progress, but don't leave us the same. Continue to change us. Grind away what's rusty and rough make us shiny and new and pure and whole. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.